Welcome to the It's Going to Be Good podcast sponsored by Accru. This is the place where Anna and I talk about how we are growing as individuals and how we're building a firm in a way that is healthy and sustainable. There's always more to learn and we want to share what we have learned and what we're still learning. Today, we are going to be talking about showing up as your whole self at work and managing your emotions at work because work is an emotional place. Everywhere is an emotional place because we're humans, but work is also a place where we experience emotions and we so rarely talk about how to actually understand them and manage them at work in a healthy and productive and professional way that's still human. So uh, I'm really excited to talk about this because it is all of the soft skills stuff that I love digging into. You really <laughs> so, uh, Yeah. This came about as a result of a book that I read by Brene Brown called Atlas of the Heart. And she talks about emotion in this book and, and how we experience emotions and data behind emotions and how we can actually effectively build trust and community with other people while we are still human and experience emotions, both positive and negative. And it was such a good read. And I was getting so much from it that I just found myself taking notes perpetually during it. Like I would just like type out like all of my thoughts, like while I was listening to this book by Brene Brown and I recommend the audiobook. It's, it's really phenomenal, but I found myself writing down almost everything that was in the book because it was just so functional and useful. And there was so much that I was learning about myself and about like other people in learning it. And so I just realized this is way too good for me to keep this to myself. And it's way too good for me to pretend like everyone should just read this book. So I'm actually going to synthesize this information for our team. And I'm going to make a resource about understanding and, and managing emotions at work. So we did, and it's been a great resource for us. I think this topic is one of my favorites because it is one of the few things that is the human side and, and has like really like quite a lot of room for error or miscommunication and it has so much power to be positive. So Anna, I, I would actually like to start by asking you a question because I I was the impetus for creating this resource, but on the receiving end of, of hearing that this was a resource that I even wanted to create, I'm curious what your thoughts were. Oh, that is a really good question. I think by the time we created the resource, it was like, oh, yeah, of course. But I think that, that <laughs> nailed it, you know, <laughs> yeah, please share those thoughts with the team. But before that, we had spent a lot of time talking about this because I think there tends to be either one of two leanings, which is either that you shouldn't have any emotions at work at all. Emotions are a personal thing. Don't bring that stuff to work you need to come and essentially be a robot. And then the other <laughs> side is everyone should feel all their feelings all the time. And you should never, you know, necessarily have any boundaries about expressing yourself. And I don't think any <laughs> of those bends is necessarily that helpful because one of the things we talk about a lot is viewing emotions as a dashboard light in your car and assuming that no dashboard light ever means anything that you should pay attention to is pretty unhelpful. So that kind of robotic sense of like, yeah, there's a light, but just ignore it. It's probably fine. Well, if it's a check engine light, <laughs> you might actually want to check your engine. There might actually be a real problem there <laughs> that you should pay attention to. But then also on the flip side, flipping out every time any light ever pops up is pretty unhelpful because maybe the light is that you need to get gas 
And so it's not actually an emergency. You just need to drive to the gas station, put gas in your car, and then it's fine. And so I think us viewing that as emotions or dashboard lights to tell you that there's something you need to pay attention to so that you can figure out what the appropriate action is. And so separating out emotions from actions, I think has been really helpful for all of us in acknowledging the fact that we're human, acknowledging the fact that we have feelings and that we do feel our feelings and maybe our feelings are trying to tell us something, but then also not being so guided by our feelings that we just do or don't do whatever we feel like. And then we're not really being intentional in how we're behaving, in what we're saying. We're just going with whatever we feel. So once we actually got to this, like, oh, there's a balance here. And I don't think this is something we talk about a lot. And and then you went really deep on that. And the resource we have is incredibly robust. So by the <laughs> time we got there, it was like, yeah, this is going to be really helpful because, you know, brand new team members will not have experienced some of the conversations we've had. They will not experience, you know, the way that we think about things. We have to have a more structured way of sharing that with them. That's part of our onboarding process. It's kind of part of like, hey, here's how we view humanity as being a positive aspect work because there are plenty of things that we automate. There are plenty of things we use apps for and that we use technology for. You're a human being and you're here on purpose because of your humanity. If a robot could do the job, a robot would be doing the job. And so you being a human is not a negative in this scenario. It's a positive, but how do we leverage that as being a positive? So uh, that was a very long answer to say, uh, I like the resource you made, ma'am. <laughs> Yeah, I I think this was a bit of an evolution. I I had kind of forgotten some of those those kind of initial learnings that led to this. But the first thing that we discovered and this was kind of in response to some emotional circumstances at work was really that it was the specific phrase that emotions aren't actions. Those are not the same thing. And just because you feel a way doesn't mean you get to act however you want in that vein or get to even act in that vein. So like just because I feel angry or just because I feel upset or just because I feel frustrated or annoyed doesn't mean I just get to act however I want in response to that. So emotions are not actions. But then we got to a point where we realized that emotions aren't just good or bad and they aren't something we can just check at the door the moment that we clock in. They're a real part of our lives as humans. And so we evolved that phrase into emotions aren't actions, but they're really good dashboard lights. So pay attention to them and then figure out how you want to respond. And I think that tool of like pausing and reflecting and then thinking about who you want to be in that circumstance, regardless of those emotions or in addition to those emotions, maybe is a better way to say that. Because you always have choice. You always have choice about how you show up. And so if you want to show up as the person that you want to be in that space, you have to be able to stop, reflect, and then project out and vision out how you want to show up in response to that emotion. So yeah, it's it's been an evolution, but... I'd like to start digging into some of the emotions. Yeah, want to do that? Well, well, one thing I, I want to note before we do, and then I, I definitely do, is you know, there's that end of things where it's like being a robot, where there, you know, you you don't have any emotions at all. But then the other end of things of you just behave according to your emotions. That's being a toddler. 
Like, and I mean that literally, (laughs) like toddlers are a hundred percent driven by however they are feeling and it is. Developmentally. Yes. And so developmentally, them maturing is being able to regulate their emotions so that the way that they behave is not a hundred percent emotional all the time. So I, this is something that's helpful at work for sure. I think this kind of resource and this kind of idea is helpful just in life everywhere. Um, And we've gotten a lot of that input from team members. And, and so I love hearing a team member say out loud, I'm feeling my feelings about this because there's Mm -hmm. an acknowledgement that I do have feelings and I am feeling them and that still isn't what I'm immediately going to do. I can recognize the space between I am feeling my feelings and I am deciding what I'm going to do. So I I love that that we think about things like this and then share them so that other people think about things like this and apply them. And then it's so fun to watch that growth and development. In, in myself and and in others. So let's dig in. Let's talk about the fields. Well, one of the things that I like about the way that we approach resource creation is we like to start on a positive note. So even though this is about understanding and managing your emotions at work, this resource that we created and, and this idea, this concept, it is, you know, the toughest emotions to manage at work are the hard ones or the negative ones. But there are still things that you have to be conscientious of in terms of positive emotions at work. And so we start with calm because calm is a really essential part of making progress toward your goals or toward your workload getting getting reduced. So I think for calm, it is really about setting an intention. So you have to want to be calm to even get there. (laughs) It's really easy to convince yourself that calm's not even like worth it or that like it's not an option. But I think when you create an intention for calm or peace or whatever you want to call it at work, it it greatly increases your likelihood of actually attaining it. So that that's the starting point for us and our team. Well, and in calm, you must decide it for yourself. When someone else says, calm down, no no one is like, oh, okay, I'll just calm right down then. (laughs) It usually infuriates people more. So uh, calm Mm -hmm. is, uh, I think there are other emotions that are, you know, it's easier to kind of respond to like, like, you know, anger or, or other things might be much more reactive. Calm is something that you kind of have to choose. You don't like respond to get calm. Like you, uh, and it you rarely happens to, to you. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, you know, uh, one of the things that, that is like the juxtaposition of calm is anxiety and anxiety is contagious. Yes. It is absolutely contagious. You've felt it. You've experienced that like on the receiving end. If you're around someone who's super anxious, you absorb that to some extent, like you start adopting that. The great thing about calm is that it is also contagious. So when you are the lowest heart rate in the room, the rest of the room, their heart rate starts going down. Like yes. it's it's pretty impressive. And you can actually see and feel it in, in a space if you can conscientiously choose calm and reduce that heart rate. It's, it's really impressive how that ripple effect actually looks 
in even on Zoom, like even not even in real person. Like that is such an interesting thing that is like universal and transcends technology. Yes. And I love that phrase of being the lowest heart rate in the room. It's something I consciously think about when I know that I'm going to engage in a hard conversation, when I know I'm going to engage in something that feels like conflict, I consciously think to myself, okay, I want to be the lowest heart rate in the room. I want to be the calming presence so that even though we have to tackle something that's challenging, I'm not making it extra challenging because I'm layering on, you know, anger or frustration or, you know, or anxiety or these other feelings that then the conversation becomes more about those feelings than about actually tackling the problem that we need to, to address. So I, I, I think be the lowest heart rate in the room uh, often. Not all the time. I'm not just engaging in conflict for conflict's sake, but you know, but it is something I, I consciously think about and and I think has been super helpful. Yeah. Well, it, it permeates that space. Like it's it's pretty impressive how much of a difference it makes. I think we all have ways of managing stress or anxiety, um, but it's typically one of two things. When we are not feeling calm or when we're not engaging in calm, we tend to either over-function in anxiety or under-function in anxiety. And so I think over-functioning looks like moving more quickly to advise or to rescue or to micromanage or to like swoop in and save the day rather than actually pausing and reflecting. And so the appropriate response to that over-functioning anxiety can be just being willing to embrace vulnerabilities and and just face the anxiety or the stress or the pressure head on. And even saying something, even something as simple as like in a meeting, if that's what you're experiencing, saying, I'm feeling really stressed about this project. Like I'm feeling like I'm behind and and I hate that feeling. I hate feeling behind on this, but I also feel like I'm letting the team down and letting other people either just know that that's what you're experiencing or on, on, you know, like in a really thriving, healthy relationship to be able to like empathize and support you in that space. And without that vulnerability of sharing where you're at, it's hard to meet you there. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible. You have to be like basically a mind reader, which I'm not super willing to do anymore. The opposite side of that is the under-functioning anxiety. And this tends to get like people tend to get a little bit less competent the more stressed they are when they tend to underfunction. Yes. And it can be a really the result of this can be like asking other people to basically do your job for you or to take over for you or you know like basically like abdication of responsibility because you can't quite function in anxiety at the level that you're expected to and so the correct response to that is to amplify your strengths and your competencies and to lean into that space that you're really gifted at that's going to be energizing like we talked about the working genius if all of the work I'm doing is tenacity work and I'm anxious also, and I start under-functioning, I need to mix in some work that's going to actually help me feel like I've got the momentum to gain ground on that project. That's going to be hard for me. Doesn't mean I don't get to do it because that under-functioning isn't just an excuse to abdicate responsibility. It is a good thing to just pay attention to and then say, all right, reality is our friend. What are we going to do about it? 
this is what I can do. I can actually delegate some of this work to someone who is much more inclined toward it. Or I can add something that will help balance my workload a little bit better and give me a little bit more energy to persist through this challenging project. So I think that flip side of like calm versus anxiety is something in accounting, especially that's really like stark. That difference is really clear. If you go to a firm that is a high anxiety firm, it is likely that the CEO all the way down to the administrative assistant at that company is probably a high stress person or is leaning in or absorbing that stress from top down. Similarly, if you join a company and everyone's pretty calm and collected and they're handling their stuff and they've got things covered, you absorb that and you kind of you kind of can adopt some of those skills and habits as well. Well, I think that that is really interesting because I I imagine most people tend to lean one way or the other and it's almost like a do you like fight or freeze? Like, do, mm. do you mm-hmm. tend to go towards trying to do even more because you're stressed or do you end up kind of freezing and not being able to do anything because you're stressed? And so figuring out which one you tend to lean towards and even just an awareness that you probably have one tendency or the other, and then thinking about how you could respond differently knowing yourself, I think even just opening the question of that helps you think about, oh, when I am stressed, what direction do I tend to lean? And what could I do about that that would be more productive rather than just assuming that my bend towards anxiety is the only option that that I have no control over this reaction? Like, okay, I know when I get stressed because invention is my in my working genius, I see everything as a problem that needs an idea. Um, and so I go hard mm. in the paint. I don't freeze. I go harder and weirder. And it's not really <laughs> that helpful for most people. And so sometimes I will just tell you, okay, I know I'm stress ideating right now. And so I'm not going to just go start sharing all my ideas with everyone so they can all start doing stuff because I'm stressed because that's not actually helpful to literally anyone, including me, I will start to write down these ideas and maybe I'll get some discernment on them. Maybe none of them are right now ideas, but I happen to be stressed and this is the reaction I'm I'm doing. How can I keep that from having a negative impact on the rest of the team, being aware of it and being willing to kind of talk about it a little bit more openly. So I think it's interesting to to think about you will probably lean towards doing even more or doing even less. And so then Mm -hmm. knowing that and what could you do about it? We have a lot of stressful experiences at work, no matter where you work. But I think even especially in accounting, like there's so many things, business finances are so personal and they're so like, it's such a like heavy thing. It's so much of a business owner's life. And and so there's a lot of like weight to it, emotional weight to it. And so anxiety, fear, and stress are absolutely things that our team and anyone in accounting or anyone at work really will feel at some point. And so We ask our team to ask themselves questions when they're experiencing those emotions. And so some of the questions that we like to ask ourselves when we're experiencing that anxiety or that fear or that stress is, do I have enough information to even freak out? Yes. Do I even have enough information to like do the thing that I'm feeling right now? Is this a big deal or a little deal? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. And and will freaking out actually help the situation? Because sometimes your stress ideating is really helpful. <laughs> and sometimes it's not. So like asking, is this actually what's needed here? Or will this help the situation improve? Because sometimes my response is helpful. And sometimes it's not. I just need to ask myself that question. I don't need to have any feelings or thoughts about <laughs> that <laughs> about myself. Um also, like, is there anyone else that I can connect with about this that will help me see this from a different vantage point, from a different perspective? And then it really comes down to what is in my control? What can mm -hmm. I control? Because I can really only control me in so many of these scenarios. I can't control how anyone else responds. I can't control what anyone else thinks or feels. I can only control me. So what can I do in this circumstance to help me and to help everyone else involved? And will I be able to make progress in this emotional state or do I need to take some space away from this? Like, yes. do I need to or can I? Like, I think both of those things can be the case. Like, sometimes you want to, but you can't. And sometimes you don't want to, but you really should. Yes. And, and that's a challenge. You know, you, it takes reps getting in like that emotional evaluation. But I think some of these questions, asking yourself some of these questions is such a good and practical like starting point for starting to evaluate how you manage your stress at work. Should we talk about defensiveness? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Defensiveness is one of my favorite ones to write about because I think it is it's one of those things that makes you look so bad, but it is so human to want to do. And so finding better ways to just think about it is so helpful. So Anna, take us take us through defensiveness. Yes. What does defensiveness looks yes. look like? Defensiveness looks like and and this is like directly from our resource, which I love because it really highlights the behaviors that are so common in humans and definitely in accounting, uh, over justifying, <laughs> making excuses, minimizing, discrediting, blaming, discounting, refuting, reinterpreting, and then shutting down and just agreeing temporarily. I think so many of these behaviors are so common and and I think some of them are especially understandable if you work in an environment where people aren't necessarily treated well where when you are given critical feedback it's not necessarily to help and support you it is to point out that you made a mistake and how embarrassing for you that you are a human being <laughs> and not perfect you know and so there there so is sad. Like there's an understandable element towards defensiveness because mm -hmm. even by nature of, of the term defensiveness, there's an implication that there's an attack happening. And so you need to defend. But the problem with that is defensiveness flares up whether or not the attack is legitimate. And so mm. if you put that shield up, whether it's friend or foe, then you don't receive the helpful input, the, the feedback that is actually meant to serve you because you can't distinguish between someone who's trying to help you and someone who's trying to hurt you. And so having that as your default posture when you're getting input means that you're not open to receive the input that's helpful, means that you're not taking ownership for what you could be because you're so worried 
about protecting yourself. Defensiveness is one of the most selfish um, emotions. I mean, I guess every emotion is selfish to some extent, you know, because you're the one feeling it, you know, but defensiveness is, <laughs> is so tied up in that kind of image management. I don't want to look bad. I don't want to have to admit that I'm wrong. I don't want to have to admit this is a big deal. But the problem is, in in trying to not make yourself look bad when you engage in behaviors that are defensive you actually look even worse than if you just said yeah. that was my bad i did make a mistake i'm really sorry about that you know that would end the conflict much much faster than us having to do this dance around how it wasn't really your fault and actually it was someone else's fault or actually it wasn't even a big deal you know all of those things now <laughs> we have to do all this extra work because we're not actually getting to the problem we're just dealing with with this so i i understand defensiveness i just also understand that it's so unhelpful to everyone. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, to, to, on the flip side of that, like, it's not always that you're ready to say, yeah, I messed up my bad. Like I, this is on me and here's how I'm going to fix it. Like you're not always ready for that. And I think we expect ourselves to be constantly ready to make the right choice, but we aren't because we're humans. So, <laughs> so like, I know I wish, gosh, I wish, <laughs> but it's, it, it, if you can just get good at evaluating where you're at, evaluating your emotions and reading that dashboard light. What you have the luxury of is at that point of self-awareness, you have the luxury of just saying, I'm feeling really overwhelmed by this feedback and I don't know what I think or feel about it. So I'm going to go make a cup of tea. Can we sit down in 10 minutes? Can we sit down next week when we're supposed to meet again? Like, can, can I have some time to think about this? Because I want to make sure I'm really evaluating the idea before I, before I speak into it or before I respond. And that, that like little trick will give you so much emotional freedom to figure out how you're actually feeling about something, how, what you think about an idea. And it, it is a really handy tool to, to get to, but you have to have the self-awareness to be able to pause and and take that tool out of your tool belt. Yes. Um, well, and I think that the some of the antidote to defensiveness is a willingness to engage in vulnerability. And and yes. that is not vulnerability without any discrimination. It's not vulnerability without boundaries. It there are times where being defensive because someone is attacking you might actually be an appropriate response. Not literally mm -hmm. that you're going to make excuses or other things, but maybe you're going to say, "Hey, I don't really like how you're talking to me right now" because someone is mm -hmm. actually being a jerk to you. So it's not as though we are saying there is never a cause to defend yourself, but being defensive tends to be unhelpful in having a productive conversation. So I think even just the vulnerability of being able to say, I don't know that I'm ready to have this conversation right now, or, or that I don't totally understand where I went wrong here or, or, you know, or even questioning it. Like there is a way mm -hmm. to question the feedback that you're getting that isn't defensive. And I think that is aligned with an intention to understand, like, yes. it, are you trying to understand or are you trying to manage your image? 
That's really the difference between whether you're being defensive or whether you are engaging in in feedback or input in a way that could actually be productive. But I think so much of that and and why we want to talk about things like this requires self-awareness. It requires Mm -hmm. you to pay attention to whether you're being defensive and then stop yourself and go, is what I'm doing actually helpful? Is what I'm doing going to get me to where I want to be, going to help us end whatever is happening at peace? Or am I just mm-hmm. going to agree to something I don't agree to just to make it stop? You know, but yeah. like I'm going to have this conflict again because we didn't actually resolve anything. And so I'm going to feel defensive mm-hmm. again. We're going to do all this again. You know, the way to manage that is to shift gears into being willing to be vulnerable being willing to admit maybe I wasn't always right all the time. Maybe I'm not actually perfect, but that's hard. And it is hard to distinguish Mm -hmm. between whether someone is trying to help you or hurt you. There's some discernment that that's required there, but I would rather engage in more vulnerability, even though someone might not have my best interests at heart then have such a strong shield up to the entirety of the world that I don't open myself up to getting input that is designed to help. So that's my bend, but it wasn't always, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's so fun to be the smartest person in the room and you don't necessarily want someone to tell you that you're not. And so you might kind of knee jerk react to that and go, well, actually, let me show you how you're stupid in this, you know? And so it's <laughs> really easy to to do these kinds of, you know, blaming, throwing someone else under the bus, making excuses why it wasn't your fault, making, you know, the, the problem seem like it wasn't really a big deal. So you didn't make a big mistake. Like all of those are so human. They're just not that helpful. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's, really helpful to reframe some of this because we're we're talking about quite a lot of emotions and they're 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 intense you know like emotions are a heavy thing to experience and they can be physically exhausting and mentally and emotionally exhausting but i think i think what's super interesting about this concept is that really there's only a couple skills that you need here one, you just need the ability to like pause and think about what you're feeling and, mm-hmm. and I'd be able to identify it. And then two, just having some of those like tools in your toolkit ready to launch whenever, like pausing the conversation, like the ability to pause a conversation mid-conflict, knowing that you need to return to it, knowing that you will need to put a date on the calendar. Or there needs to be some predictability. You can't just go, I need some space and then just never bring it up again and hope it goes away. You actually have yes. to close the loop at some point. So like there's layers to it. It's not just that, but but it really does come down to a couple different skills. It's just about self-awareness, understanding what emotions are options, understanding yourself and and knowing what it feels like when you experience those things, and then choosing how you're going to show up after because there's always choice and we all have choice in this. So I think um, in terms of, it's kind of adjacent, but the irritation, frustration, and anger, I think is something that's really common in, um, in our industry and, and at work in general. But like if a client, if you're confirming with the client before the meeting every single time, and then they still don't show up, or if mm-hmm. you're, you know, if you're doing the thing and you're like, come on, and it feels like it's personal and you start to get that anger or that resentment or that irritation or whatever, and it's starting to grow. It's, it's that dirt in the clamshell. It is going 
to become something much bigger than that speck of dirt is if you just let it stay there. And so I think, you know, that it's helpful to be like, I don't actually know, need to know how to deal with all of these things. I need to know a couple of skills. I need to be able to listen to myself. I need to be able to know what the heck I'm talking about. And then I need to have a few cards in my back pocket ready to throw on the table at any point to, to be able to get what I need in this conversation. And what I need is not the only important thing, but it is the only thing that I can prioritize in that. So I think one of the things about anger, irritation, frustration, those more negative emotions that I will highlight is we always encourage our team, if you are feeling them actively, don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> don't email take a break. the client. <laughs> take a break. Maybe just like clock out. Like we're not going to do that while we're feeling it. It's like spanking your kids while you're angry, regardless of whether you think spanking is right or wrong. If you're angry, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, you're conflating <laughs> probably... the things. There, If yes. you're angry or irritated or frustrated, there probably is a legitimate reason that you are. But when you layer that anger or frustration on top of it, now we're doing a different thing. Now we're doing yes. it because I'm mad, not because there's a problem that we need to solve. If you're spanking your well, kid because you're mad, you're confusing whether it's discipline or whether it's like punishment bordering on abuse, you know, it, it's, it's becoming a different thing because we're layering all of that on top of it. So I, I do think, uh, I, I was thinking about this, uh, maybe it was last week I was getting really frustrated. I was getting really annoyed at, at a situation and I was like, I need to do some things to take care of myself. I am going to clock out. I'm going to take my dog on a walk. So I go outside. I'm going to get something to eat. I am going to do <laughs> some things that I know are good for me so that when I come back to this situation, I'm only dealing with the situation. I'm not dealing with how pissed I am about the situation, which is a totally different thing and may or may not be that helpful in actually navigating the situation. And I think a lot of times when we, when we experience those feelings, we assume that they're right and we assume that whatever we do in response to them because we're feeling that way is totally justified. Well, I sent off that thing, but I'm, oh my gosh. I mean, did you see what they sent to me? It's like, yeah, they sent something that was kind of crappy to you. That email that you got, it, it was not cool. You chose how you responded though. You made the mm -hmm. choice to respond in kind. You could have de-escalated this by choosing the high road, but you chose to choose the easy road of just firing back in kind. And, and what are we trying to accomplish with this? Are we trying to solve the problem? Are we trying to get back on the same side of the table? Are we trying to just like, you know, see who's better at being mad and quick-witted? Like, are, are we doing a win-lose competition or are we trying to find a win-win solution where we're all going to get to where we would like to be? And so I think really imagining what you could do, what you do have control over, I think especially when you're experiencing those negative emotions is like, I can't control that I feel this way. I can control what I choose to do. 
Well, and that that uh, segues nicely into our next uh, motion, which is resentment. And this is something we talk about a lot, which is really strange because it's not something most people talk about a lot, let alone at work. But we talk about it a lot because I think this is one of the most useful dashboard lights that we don't talk about. It is so hel- it's been so helpful for me in the last few years of just if I'm starting to feel myself feeling those inklings of resentment about anything, it doesn't matter what. The first thing I do is ask myself, why am I feeling this way? Is there something I can change in the way I'm responding, in the way I'm acting, in the way I'm doing anything that would stop this from happening? Am I saying yes to things that I don't actually want to do? And so I'm resenting people for something that's fully my choice? Or am I resenting people because they're infringing on my choices? Like what what's happening here? Is it actually something that's worth this feeling? Or is there something I can do to change the circumstance so that I don't feel resentful? Because they can't control that for me. I can control it for myself. And if there's anything I can do to fix resentment, feelings of resentment, I will <laughs> as soon as possible. I think the the question is like, what have I thought, what have I done, or what have I said that would contribute to me being in the circumstance in the first place? Like, why am I here? What have I done that brought me here? Because it's not just the other person's fault. It never is. It's always two, two-way street. But have I agreed to something that I don't actually agree to? <laughs> Can I actually deliver on this commitment that I've given? Like, is there a boundary that I can set? or an action that I can take that will alleviate this feeling of resentment. Because if there's literally anything I can do, including mindset shift all the way to boundary setting, like it, 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 it's so all options are options in this. The key is identifying that the emotion you're feeling and asking yourself the questions of what you can control and what you have influence over that will help you get to where you want to go. And I think the next time an opportunity presents itself, asking yourself if you actually agree to something is one of the most helpful things that I've adopted in the last few years. It will help me so much in my decisions because I know that if I said yes to something, it's on me that I'm now responsible for that thing. I said yes. I had choice in that. And I chose yes, which is totally an option. But as soon as I choose yes, I don't get to blame anyone else for my yes. That was mine. I gave it freely. And maybe I didn't want to, but that's still on me. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the other thing I, I think about a lot with resentment is I, I absolutely think about the things you're talking about. Like, am I agreeing to something that I didn't really agree to? Is there a boundary that I didn't set that I needed to set? A lot of times I feel resentment because there is conflict I should have had. I should have advocated for myself. I should have said no to something and I didn't. And so now my yes is is not a, a real yes and it's not a yes that I feel good about. And so it's so easy to just blame that other person and resent them and feel like they're taking advantage of you rather than seeing, okay, but again, and this is going to be a constant theme, what can I do about it? And there's also this other kind of resentment. And I, I hear it in the phrase must be nice. 
like must be nice to have this or do that or get to do these things must be nice to go on a vacation and not have to work you know must be nice to have this thing and and i think the best antidote for that kind of resentment is gratitude is finding Mm. a way to look at your circumstances, look at what's causing you to feel resentment and ensure that you're taking an accurate stock of where you're at and what you have to be grateful for. And then also what you can do to change what is flagging that feeling of resentment for you, because there's no reason you couldn't have this thing or do this thing or, you know, have things oriented in the way that you want them to be but it will require something of you. And so if you're just stopping at resenting someone else for being happy without being willing to do the work to be happy, it's a pretty unhelpful emotion. And so it it is interesting Mm. to talk about it in the context of work, but, but I do think you see that at work. You see people, see someone who's advanced into a different role or see someone who has a special parking spot or, you know, or, or whatever (laughs) random perks. And it's easy to feel resentment because you're not taking full stock of what all it takes to, to do that. Um, and also you might be looking at what they have and seeing it as better than what you have, because you're not actually like properly evaluating and showing gratitude for where you are and and hopefully how blessed you are. So I, I do think, you know, being mindful of what makes me feel resentful is one of the most helpful, like things I've pinpointed as, as an area of growth for myself, because when I'm feeling mm-hmm. resentful, that's a hundred percent on me to do something about it. It is not that other person that needs to change so that I don't resent them. It is me who needs to change and why. I'm resenting them and really evaluate that. So resentment's a real good one to pay attention to. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point, you know, like, I think you're right that it is something one that we all experience at work, regardless of where you work, what industry you're in, like every single person experiences resentment at some point or another. And it happens quite often at work without us even really queuing into it, but it is so prevalent in so many different workplaces. And I've experienced it at so many places, but I think to your point of, you know, like the comparison, the must be nice thing, it's comparison is the thief of joy. So if that's where your Mm -hmm. head is at all the time, you're going to have a really hard time locking into joy and happiness. Like it's going to be really challenging for you to find things in your life that do bring you that because you're so focused on what you don't have and not focused on what you do or what you could even like, I think it's even helpful. Like it's not just what you already have but it's also what you have and what you're aiming toward. Not just like must be nice. The end it's must that I bet that's really enjoyable. I want that. What would it take for me to have that? And and if it takes this, do I really want it? I think it's the next step of that. That's like the elevated version of this is like, okay, I think I want it today. What would it take? It would take that. Oh, pass. Right. (laughs) Or yes, I want it still. You know, like it doesn't matter which way you go, but like that ability to evaluate the worthiness of something is really helpful at work because we think we want things until we get them. Yes. 
where we live it is very hilly. And so there's kind of a, an expression of like someone that lives higher up on the hill than you. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, you know, hearing that and, and, you know, spending a lot of time less high up on the hill, uh, if you will, <laughs> that kind of hearing that, you know, must be nice. And I remember being at the bottom of the hill and looking up at the top of the hill and going, I wonder what those people do. You know, like, I wonder what kind of profession they have. Like, I Mm. wonder what they did to get there because it always felt achievable. It just sparked my curiosity. And so I think that's the, the difference. When you engage in that resentment, you tend to behave in ways that actually reduce the likelihood that you will advance. Because you do these self-defeating behaviors, no one wants to help you because you're so unpleasant to be around because all you do is focus on these negative aspects of what someone else has that you don't. It's so awkward to be around someone who's like, must be nice to have whatever. Then if you're the person that has it, you're like, I mean, it. It is. It was a lot. It is, of but now I don't want to spend here. time with you. Yeah. And now I feel awkward <laughs> yeah. about having it, even if I spent a lot of hard work earning it, even if I would be happy to share the perk with you. You focusing on the resentment of you not having it, which has kind of an implication of I don't deserve it. You know, that there is there is some layers there, but you tend to engage in these self-defeating behaviors that end up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy that means you won't end up having those things because no one wants to help you advance to get them. You just blew my mind in many ways. I, I've been sitting here with my mouth open. You, it's ri- kind of ridiculous, but that is such an interesting concept that like um, anxiety and calm are contagious externally to other people. Like if I experience those emotions and exhibit them in any kind of like readable way to another person, then it will be contagious. The thing about resentment that I just picked up on is that like it is like it's going to grow in you if you don't do something about it. It's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It is self-perpetuating. So like if you just stay in resentment and you don't do anything about it, you're just setting yourself up to live there. Yes. And resentment is like, is, you know, neighbors with bitterness and it's, it's like, you know, drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, it's, it's that it's only really harming you even though it it is usually externally focused, you know, but mm-hmm. you're really the only one who's experiencing the negativity of it. So I, mm-hmm. I think when I feel resentful, because even though I understand it, I still feel it. I'm still a person. I really try to focus in on that particularly because it almost always means there's something I need to do. I need to examine my own heart and why I'm not celebrating the accomplishment of someone else. I need to examine whether there's, you know, conflict that I've avoided and I haven't stuck up for myself or I haven't expressed what I need or I haven't been clear in what I do and don't want to do. And so that being a flag, that being a huge dashboard light for me, that is a check and pull over check engine. This is not just like a, you know, 
put some gas in the car kind of light. This is a like, you need to pop the hood up and see what's going on because the, the, this one's for real. Yeah, for sure. We have some positive emotions that we talk about yes, that yes, before yes, yes. we get to those. We can all feel good at work too. But <laughs> but I think we don't talk a lot about the negative emotions at work. Yeah. Because A, it's uncomfortable, and B, we just don't want anyone to mm-hmm. have them. We just want to yeah, pretend so we're like, like if we don't, don't talk exist. about them, they don't exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think for us, like the the advice that we give to our team and the advice we give to ourselves is to know yourself and know your triggers. It's to apply the principles in in situations regardless of how you're feeling. So like if you know it is generally good for you to take time to think before you respond, just do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> regardless of how you feel, good, bad, positive, negative, doesn't matter. Just do the thing. Just take the break. Take that pause. Ask for what you need and do that thing. I think the other, you know – Elements that we expect our team to embody when they're managing their emotions at work are always, without fail, be respectful. We do not tolerate any disrespect at this company. And if we experience it or see it in any way, we just call it out because there's no room for that here. So I think one of the things that's been really helpful for conceptualizing that respect element is, you know, we tend to talk about the golden rule a lot and treating others the way that you want to be treated. But I prefer the platinum rule, which is treating others the way that they want to be treated. And I actually, we had a team member today uh, talk about this in a, in a slightly different way that I thought was really helpful. Um, I think the phrase was treating others the way, or, or you're not saying something the way you want to say it, you're saying it the way that they need to hear it. Yeah. And I think that's a really helpful reframe because it's not for you. The way that you act toward other people should generally not be for your benefit. It, it can also be for your benefit and you can have ancillary benefits. And you sometimes will act in a way that where, where your motivation is primarily your own gain. But for the most part, if we want to be generous people who are humble and, and gracious and good teammates, like we will think about other people before ourselves or, or prioritize other people at least as equally as ourselves. And so I think thinking about how someone else actually needs to hear that information is one of the most helpful reframes I can take with me. And I, I really do love the golden rule. I just think it's slightly incomplete because it isn't just about you. Well, the, the golden rule is assuming everyone is the same and the platinum rule yes. is acknowledging that people are different and that it's that's good that they're different and we should treat them like they want to be treated understanding that they're not exactly the same as us so what might translate as care to me might translate what not translate as care to someone else what might translate as kind or or helpful to me versus you know unkind and unhelpful would might be different than someone else and so the platinum rule also in it implies that you have taken the time to know that person as an individual human being and are thinking about what would land as care to them, not just assuming everyone is the same as you. And so you should treat them however you want them to do things. Yeah. I love that. And I think one of the best like ancillary benefits of knowing yourself is that you get to know other people better too. Like when you can know the people around you well, you can give that input or, or or share your thoughts and feelings in a way that actually translates to them and keeps you guys heading in the same direction together on the same team. 
some of the other principles that we encourage our team to to engage in while they're problem solving emotions at work is making sure that you understand the actual problem before you dive into solving it. I think we a lot of times are like, I need this to stop feeling this way ASAP. So I'm just going to start solving it. And if you don't properly understand the problem, I think it's really hard to do. I think also, you know, we hit on this multiple times, but focusing on what is in your sphere of control or your sphere of influence and anything outside of that just it's not yours to own. It's not your responsibility. It's not your fault. It's not your, it's not in your sphere of influence. So like, there's nothing you can do about it. So there's no reason to spend any amount of time, effort, energy on figuring out how to troubleshoot that because you can only control yourself. And I think one of the things that I love about our team is that we also focus on solutions as well. You were going to say something, Anna. Oh yeah. I, I think in, in what's in, what's in and what's outside of your sphere of influence, I, I love the thought that if it's outside of your control, how can you change the way that you approach it? Because that mm. is what is inside of your control. If the yeah. situation is such that you can't change it, what can you change in yourself about how you feel about it, mm. how you might approach it? There's still what an element of agency <laughs> yeah. in that. You know, that there are things you can't change. There are systems that are set up that way on purpose, even if you don't like them or agree with them. There are things that are going to be not just a problem that you can fix, but yeah. you still have agency in how you respond to that and how you feel about it and what you can do in response to it. So I, I'm always going to lean towards, but what can you do? Uh, and so yeah. I like that even for something sucks. you can't do, there's something you can do. Totally. Yeah. I think also focusing on solutions because understanding the problem is important, but you can't just stay there. Nothing will improve. Nothing will change. Everything will just kind of stay put, stay stagnant, or worse and more likely grow um, if you just stay in that space. So thinking about solutions and focusing on that, once you feel like you've got a good grasp on the problem, really like leaning into solu a solution orientation. And then in that, I think getting inspired by others, looking at other people, asking other people for input or ideas or suggestions, or asking for like input about how you could tackle responding to a client. Like I think getting inspired by other people in the way that they do things, it's not that we're going to one for one, you know, layer that on to who we are as individuals. We're actually just going to borrow from other people because you have skills that I don't have and knowledge and wisdom and tools and all the things. And, and I only have some of them and I want to borrow as much as I can from people who are smarter than me, from people who are more even keeled than I am. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm an emotional person. Like I have a no. broad range of emotions, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to borrow from people who like my husband who are really even tempered and mm -hmm. who can like add that steady presence to a space. Like that's really important as a leader. And so I want to borrow that from him and from the other people on our team who have that ability because it's important and it's not something I'm naturally good at. So oh, I think yeah. getting we all want to be people. chill like your husband. Yes. Like, it just, I know he's so good at it. So <laughs> chill, the best at chill. I tried to tell one of his jokes and it bombed so horribly because uh, I didn't tell it in the right context and I'm not as funny and charming as he is. I don't have that je ne sais quoi. So I just, <laughs> it was 
so bad. Uh, so I want to be like him, but but also not because I can't pull off some of the stuff. But so I think <laughs> that 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 is helpful. That asking others for their input is part of that vulnerability piece of being open, being willing to say. I would love other ideas because I don't have all of them already. I don't have like uh, the market cornered on, on all the best ways to navigate everything in the whole world. So I would in fact like other people to share their thoughts and ideas. Um, but then I think it's also knowing that you don't have to necessarily take all of them. You can take what's helpful to you, what feels genuine to you, and you can still respond with gratitude that they were willing to share. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether you take their idea and go do that exact thing the way that they did it. They were willing to share with you their ideas. And so you can have gratitude for that, even as you have discernment in what you're going to take and use versus what you're going to say. I can understand that idea. I'm not doing that one. Maybe don't say <laughs> it exactly that way to their face, but, you know, but <laughs> that that sort of thing. I, I yeah. really like that, that I, I have seen a lot of conversations with our team about, you know, talking about things like how they feel when they receive feedback, you know, and, and just being willing to share that with others and having other people go, yeah, I have feelings when I get feedback too. It doesn't always feel awesome. And also I remind myself that this feedback is helpful for me and that it is for my good and that the person giving it to me wants to help me be successful here. And that's exactly the thing we're talking about, acknowledging the fact that you can have emotions in response to the trigger, in response to feedback, and still choose how you're then going to respond and then have the vulnerability and openness to share that with one another so that we normalize that it's okay to have feelings and we're still going to choose how we behave. I, I love seeing those kinds of conversations because that's exactly the kind of space that I want to create is like, it's okay to feel your feelings. And then also, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think in this conversation, it is so easy to talk about that in the context of the negative emotions we experience. But on the flip side, I think there's just as much value in doing all of this stuff for those positive emotions. Yes. So if we're talking about like happiness or excitement or joy, I think the idea that you can reflect on like why you're experiencing that emotion, like what is it about this circumstance that is bringing me this energy that's that's making me feel this way? Because even though it's not negative, that reflection is helpful because it can orient you to the kind of work that's going to do that for you. Or it might cue in like, hey, this might be the way you want to spend some of your time off when you're not working. You might want to make sure that there's some human interaction in it because you seem to really love meetings or you get to hang out with people. So like maybe you're more social than you realized that might be a good indicator of how you should spend your time or how you should spend your energy. So like, I think there's benefit to this self-evaluation process on both sides of the coin. Yes. I, I really have enjoyed having team members say that they really enjoyed doing a project. They really enjoyed doing a particular kind of work, which means they obviously thought about the fact that they enjoyed it and then thought it was worth sharing that. And it's so helpful for us because then we go, Oh, okay. First of all, it's a good reminder that you're different than me because almost always it's like, I really love doing this tenacity box checking work. 
not always. Some people like different kinds of work, you know, but it's like, oh, yeah, I really love this project. And I'm like, oh, good, because I would not have loved it. So, again, a good reminder. People are different. You're different than me. And that's great. And then also, if you can imagine, <laughs> it's helpful because if you liked a project like that, maybe there are more projects like that. If you tell us the kind of work you love, maybe we have more of it. So taking the time and space to pay attention to when you're feeling joy, when you're feeling excitement, what kind of work really brings you energy, and then being willing to share that too, not just the things that frustrate you, not just the things that suck, you know, but the things that are really enjoyable, then let's see if we can orient your role such that you're doing even more of that kind of work that brings you joy and energy and being aware on the flip side of the kind of work that doesn't. And, and maybe we can shift gears and, and figure that out. It, it also really helps me in going, it's okay that I feel joy and energy and excitement from standing in front of a whiteboard and coming up with ideas. And I don't need to feel guilty that I'm not really working because I'm not getting a client's books out the door or I'm not creating a process that we're going to use or I'm not selling a new client on services or things that feel very tangible and feel like like progress. I think paying attention to when you have joy and energy is really helpful. I will say with happiness, excitement, and joy, as well as with you know sadness and other types of things, there should be some discernment about who and how that gets shared. I do think that it is pretty demoralizing to share that you're happy with someone who will just crap on it. It is a real bummer to share that you're sad and struggling with someone who's not going to care, you know? So while we're talking about, you know, being able to pay attention to these emotions and then also at times, you know, being open to share them, there should be some thought around who and how I share how I'm feeling with because I don't necessarily want to share that I'm super happy if I know someone else is really bummed right now. Maybe that wouldn't be awesome for them to hear how happy I am when they're struggling or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Maybe someone who's really happy and doing well, it might not feel great for them to hear that I'm really struggling and bummed and like come down here with me. You know, not everyone yeah. has the emotional wherewithal to be able to meet you in that space. So I think it's knowing yourself and being able to pay attention to those emotions. And then also really being thoughtful of how that gets shared more broadly if you do choose to share it, because you don't want to share with people who can't meet you where you're at. You don't want to share that with people who don't who won't necessarily engage in that platinum rule of treating you how you would like to be treated in that time and space. So just just a few thoughts on like all the feels, but also how you share the feels does need some boundaries and discernment. We're not just emoting all over each other all the time here. That's not actually how we work. We do actually work. Pass. Just, just to be clear. <laughs> it doesn't sound do like it. We actually do work here, even though we have a lot of feelings about it. So a couple of takeaways. I think managing emotions is challenging. 
I think it definitely gets easier as you practice it, as you become aware of it, as you even buy into the idea that it is a thing you ought to think about doing and probably do, <laughs> you know, but it it is something to pay attention to and to keep in mind that there are emotions and there are actions. There is the reaction and there's the response. And so how you're feeling is a very helpful dashboard light, but it is not directions. It is not telling you what you need to do. It is telling you there's probably something you need to pay attention to. And so engaging in that with curiosity and then deciding what you do. And then probably the biggest takeaway is don't bring that home with you. When you have your feelings at work, make some space. And especially for those of you like us who work remotely and so you are at home while you're working, make some space in between when you stop working and when you engage in living to mm -hmm. be able to leave some of those emotions there so that you're not just coming home and emoting all over the people that you love, because those are the relationships that all of this work is worth doing for. So we want to make sure that while work may trigger emotions, that we find effective <laughs> ways to manage them so that our family and the people we love don't just become our emotional shamwow. So I think that this is a great like reminder, the best kind of leader, the best kind of team member is someone who's self-aware. So figuring out what those triggers are for you, figuring out how you can effectively manage them, and then, and then don't take it home with you. Leave some space for the people you love. Thanks for joining us. We hope you keep tuning in as we share how we are building a firm worth building. It's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs>